0: Section 23 of The Morals, Volume 1. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Morals, Volume 1, by Plutarch. Translated by several hands, corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. Consolation to Apollonius. Part 2. Socrates said that death was like either to a very deep sleep or to a journey taken a great way and for a long time, or else to the utter extinction of soul and body. And if we examine each of these comparisons, he said, we shall find that death is not an evil upon any account. For if death is sleep, and no hurt happens to those who are in that innocent condition it is manifest that neither are the dead ill dealt with to what purpose should i talk of that which is so tritely known amongst all that the most profound sleep is always the sweetest homer particularly attests it his senses all becalmed he drew his breath his sleep was sound and quiet like to death. And in many places he saith thus, She met death's brother, sleep. And again, Twin brothers, sleep and death, thereby representing the similitude, as it were, to the sight, for twins especially indicate similarity. And in another place he saith, death is brazen sleep thereby intimating to us that it is insensible neither hath he spoken much amiss who calls sleep the lesser mysteries of death for sleep is really the first initiation into the mysteries of death diogenes the cynic when a little before his death he fell into a slumber and his physician rousing him out of it asked him whether anything ailed him wisely answered nothing sir only one brother anticipates another sleep before death if death be like a journey neither upon this account is it an evil but rather the contrary for certainly it is the emphasis of happiness to be freed from the encumbrances of the flesh and all those troublesome passions which attend it which serve only to darken the understanding and overspread it with all the folly that is incident to human nature the very body saith plato procures us infinite disquiet only to supply its daily necessities with food but if any diseases are coincident they hinder our contemplations and stop us in our researches after truth besides it distracts us with irregular desires fears and vain amours setting before us so many fantastic images of things that the common saying is here most true that on account of the body we can never become wise for wars popular seditions and shedding of blood by the sword are owing to no other original than this care of the body and gratifying its licentious appetites for we fight only to get riches and these we acquire only to please the body so that those who are thus employed have not leisure to be philosophers and after all when we have retrieved an interval of time to seek after truth the body officiously interrupts us is so troublesome and importune that we can by no means discern its nature therefore it is evident that if we will clearly know anything we must divest ourselves of the body and behold things as they are in themselves with the mind itself that at last we may attain what we so much desire and what we do profess ourselves the most partial admirers of which is wisdom and this we cannot consummately enjoy till after death as reason teacheth us for if so be that we can understand nothing clearly as long as we are clogged with flesh one of these things must needs be either that we shall never arrive at that knowledge at all or only when we die for then the soul will exist by itself separate from the body and whilst we are in this life we shall make the nearest advances towards it if we have no more to do with the body than what decency and necessity require if we break off all commerce with it and keep ourselves pure from its contagion till god shall give us a final release and then being pure and freed from all its follies we shall converse it is likely with intelligences as pure as ourselves with our unaided vision beholding perfect purity and this is truth itself for it is not fit that what is pure should be apprehended by what is impure therefore if death only transports us to another place it is not to be looked upon as an evil but rather as an exceeding good as plato hath demonstrated the words of socrates to his judges seem to me to be spoken even with inspiration to fear death gentlemen is nothing else than to counterfeit the being wise when we are not so for he that fears death pretends to know what he is ignorant of for no man is certain whether death be not the greatest good that can befall a man but they positively dreaded as if they were sure it was the greatest of evils agreeably to this said one after this manner let no man fear what doth his labors end and death sets us free even from the greatest evils the gods themselves bear witness to the truth of this for many have obtained death as a gratuity from them the less famous instances i will pass by that i may not be prolix and only mention those who are the most celebrated and in all men's mouths and in the first place i will relate what befell by and cleobas two young men of argos they report that their mother being the priestess of juno and the time being come that she was to go up to the temple to perform the rites of the goddess and those whose office it was to draw her chariot tarrying longer than usual these two young men harnessed themselves and took it up and so carried their mother to the temple she being extremely taken with the piety of her sons petitioned the goddess that she would bestow upon them THE BEST PRESENT THAT COULD BE GIVEN TO MEN. ACCORDINGLY SHE CAST THEM INTO THAT DEEP SLEEP OUT OF WHICH THEY NEVER AWOKE, TAKING THIS WAY TO RECOMPENSE THEIR FILIAL ZEAL WITH DEATH. PINDAR WRITES OF AGAMEDES AND Triphonius THAT AFTER THEY HAD BUILT A TEMPLE AT DELPHI, THEY REQUESTED OF APOLLO A REWARD FOR THEIR WORK. It was answered them that they should have it within seven days but in the meanwhile they were commanded to live freely and indulge their genius accordingly they obeyed the dictate and the seventh night they died in their beds it is said also of pindar that when the deputies of the boeotians were sent to consult the oracle he desired them to inquire of it which was the best thing amongst men and that the priestess of the tripod gave them this answer that he could not be ignorant of it if he was the author of those writings concerning agamedes and trophonius but if he desired personally to know it should in a little time be made manifest to him and that pindar hearing this prepared himself for the stroke of fate and died in a short time after of euthanus the italian there is this memorable story that he died suddenly without anybody's knowing the cause of his death his father was Elysius the tyrrhenian who was a man of the first condition for his estate and virtue being rich and honorable and this being his only son and heir to all his fortune which was very great he had a strong jealousy upon him that he was poisoned and not knowing how he should come to the information of it he went into the vault where they invoked the dead and after having offered sacrifice as it is enjoined by the law he slept in the place when all things were in a midnight silence he had this vision his father appeared to him to whom after having related his lamentable misfortune he earnestly desired the ghost that he would assist him in finding out the cause he answered that he was come on purpose to do it but first saith he receive from this one what he hath brought thee and thereby thou wilt understand the reason of all thy sorrow the person that the father meant was very like to euthanus both for years and stature and the question being put to him who he was he answered i am the genius of thy son and at the same time he reached out a book to him which he opened and found these verses written therein tis ignorance makes wretched men to err fate did to happiness thy son prefer by destined death euthanus seized we see so twas the better both for him and thee these are the stories which the ancients tell us but lastly if death be the entire dissipation of soul and body which was the third part of socrates's comparison even then it cannot be an evil for this would produce a privation of sense and consequently a complete freedom from all solicitude and care and if no good so no evil would befall us For good and evil alike must by nature inhere in that which has existence and essence but to that which is nothing and wholly abolished out of the nature of things neither of the two can belong therefore when men die they return to the same condition they were in before they were born for as before we came into the world we were neither sensible of good nor afflicted with evil so it will be when we leave it and as those things which preceded our birth did not concern us so neither will those things which are subsequent to our death the dead secure from sorrow safe do lie tis the same thing not to be born and die for it is the same state of existence after death as it was before we were born unless perhaps you will make a difference between having no being at all and the utter extinction of it after the same manner that you make a distinction between an house and a garment after they are ruined and worn out and at the time before the one was built and the other made and if in this case there is no difference it is plain that there is none between the state before we were born and that after we are dead it is elegantly said by Cecilus that death which is called an evil hath this peculiarly distinct from all that are thought so that when it is present it gives us no disturbance but when remote and in expectation only it is then that it afflicts us and indeed, many out of the poorness of their spirit, having entertained most injurious opinions of it, have died even to prevent death. Epicharmus hath said excellently to this purpose it was united, it is now dissolved, it returns back whence it came earth to earth, the spirit to regions above. What in all this is grievous? nothing at all but that which Cresphontes in euripides saith of hercules for if he dwells below beneath the earth with those whose life is gone his strength is not i would have changed into these words for if he dwells below beneath the earth with those whose life is gone his woes are o'er this laconic too is very noble others before and after us will be whose age we're not permitted e'er to see and again these neither did live handsomely nor die though both should have been done with decency but euripides has spoken incomparably well of those who labor under daily indispositions i hate the man who studies to defeat the power of death with artificial meat to baffle and prevent his fate does think and lengthens out his life with magic drink whereas when he a burden doth become then he should die because he's troublesome old age in modesty should then give place and so make way unto a brisker race but merope moved the passion of the theatre with these masculine expressions my sons by death are ravished from my side and i'm a widow who was once a bride i am not thus selected to be crossed others their sons and husbands too have lost and we may not incongruously add these what is become of that magnificence where is king croesus with his opulence or where is xerxes with his mighty pride who with a bridge did curb the raging tide inhabitants of darkness they became and now are living only in their fame their riches have perished with their bodies yes we may say but an untimely death From many doth extort groans and passionate complaints. But the way to dry up these sorrows is so expedite and easy that every vulgar poet hath prescribed it. Consider what consolation a comedian puts in the mouth of one who comforts another upon so sad an occasion. If this with certainty thou couldst have known, that fortune always would have kindness shown that nothing but what's good would him befall his death thou justly mightst untimely call but if calamities were imminent and death the fatal mischief did prevent to give to things the character that's due death was the most obliging of the two it therefore being uncertain whether it was for his advantage that he departed this life and was freed from all the miseries that attended we had thereby lost all that we fancied we could enjoy in him whilst he was living and amphirus in the poet doth not do amiss when he consoles the mother of archimerus who was even sick with grief for the untimely death of her infant son he speaks there is no man whom sorrow doth not seize our children die while others we beget at last we die ourselves and mortals grieve as they give dust to dust but human life must needs be reaped like a full crop of corn one man must live another die why weep for this which by necessity must be there is no hardship in necessity in general, every one should meditate seriously with himself and have the concurrence of other men's opinions with his own that it is not the longest life which is the best, but that which is the most virtuous. For that musician is not to be commended who plays upon variety of instruments, nor that orator that makes multiplicity of speeches, nor the pilot that conducts many ships but he of each faculty that doth one of them well for the beauty of a thing doth not consist in length of time but in the virtue and seasonable moderation wherewith it is transacted this is that which is called happy and grateful to the gods and for this reason it is that poets celebrate those who have died before they have become old and propose them for examples as the most excellent men and of divine extraction as him for instance beloved by jove and him who gilds the skies yet short his date of life and we see in everything that preference is not given so much to age as to maturity for amongst trees and plants those are accounted the most generous which bring forth abundance of fruit and that early ripe and amongst living creatures too those are the most valued which supply us with the accommodations of life in a short time besides if we compare the space of our life with eternity we shall find no difference betwixt long and short for according to simonides thousands and millions of years are but as a point to what is infinite or rather the smallest part of that point they report that about pontus there are some creatures of such an extempore being that the whole term of their life is confined within the space of a day for they are brought forth in the morning are in the prime of their existence at noon grow old at night and then die Dost thou not think that if these had the soul and reason of a man, they would be so affected, and that things would happen to them after the same manner as to us? That those who died before the meridian would be lamented with tears and groans, and that we should call them happy who lived their day out? For the measure of a man's life is the well-spending of it, and not the length. But such exclamations as this, the young man ought not to be taken off so abruptly in the vigor of his years are very frivolous and proceed from a great weakness of mind for who is it that can say what a thing ought to be but things have been are and will be done which somebody or other will say ought not to be done but we do not come into this life to be dogmatical and prescribe to it but we must obey the dictates of the gods who govern the world and submit to the establishments of fate and providence but when they mourn over those who die so untimely do they do it upon their own account or upon that of the deceased if upon their own because they have lost that pleasure they thought they should have enjoyed in them or are deprived of that profit they expected Or that relief they flattered themselves they should receive from them in their old age then self-love and personal interest prescribe the measures of their sorrow so that upon the result they do not love the dead so much as themselves and their own interest but if they lament upon the account of the deceased that is a grief easily to be shaken off if they only consider that by their very death they will be out of the sphere of any evil that can reach them and believe the wise and ancient saying that we should always augment what is good and extenuate the evil therefore if grief is a good thing let us enlarge and make it as great as we can but if it is numbered amongst the evils as in truth it ought to be let us endeavour all we can to suppress it make it as inconsiderable as we can and at last utterly efface it how easy this is to be done i will make appear by an illustrious example of consolation they say that an ancient philosopher came to the queen arsinoe who was then sorrowful for the death of her son and discoursed her after this manner at the time that jupiter distributed honors amongst his under deities it happened that grief was absent but he came at last when all the dignities were disposed of and then desired that he might have some share in the promotions jupiter having no better vacancies left bestowed upon him sorrow and funeral tears he made this inference from the story therefore saith he as other demons love and frequent those who give them hospitable reception so sadness will never come near you if you do not give it encouragement but if you caress it with those particular honors which it challengeth as its due which are sighs and tears it will have an unlucky affection for you and will always supply you with fresh occasion That the observance may be continued by this plausible speech he seems in a wonderful manner to have buoyed this great woman out of her tears and to have made her cast off her veil in short i would ask the mourner whether he designs to put an end to his grief or to allow the anguish to have the same duration with his life if this thou hast resolved I must say thou hast cut out for thyself the most bitter infelicity in the world and all through the stupidity and softness of thy mind but if thou wilt ever make a change why dost thou not make it now and so free thyself from misery apply now the same reasons thou must use a great while hence to unburden thy mind and ease thy afflictions And as in bodily distempers the quickest remedy is the best so bestow the advantage thou must otherwise allow to time upon reason and instruction and so cease to be unhappy but it is objected the calamity was sudden and i did not expect it but thou oughtest to have done it and considered the vanity and uncertainty of human affairs that thy enemies might not have come suddenly upon thee and taken thee unawares theseus in euripides seems to be excellently well prepared for events of this nature for he saith thus this wholesome precept from the wise i learn to think of misery without concern my meditating thoughts are always spent either on death or else on banishment foresight of evils doth employ my mind that me without defence they may not find and though in ambuscade the mischief lies kill me it may but shall not me surprise but those who are of a degenerate and thoughtless spirit never apply their mind to anything that is either useful or becoming but they grow exorbitant in their sorrows and afflict the innocent body making it sick for company as Achaeus expresseth it therefore plato doth rightly instruct us to acquiesce in cases of this nature when it is not manifest whether they be good or evil and when we get nothing by being uneasy under them for grief is the greatest obstacle to deliberation as to what is best to be done therefore he commands us as in the casting of dice to accommodate ourselves to what befalls us in the way which reason shows us to be best and when anything ails us not to imitate the folly of children who presently cry out and clap their hands to the place affected but to accustom our minds to seek at once for remedies which may restore the part that is diseased to its first tone of health making lamentation give place to the healing art he that instituted laws for the lycians commanded the citizens that when they mourned they should put on women's apparel intimating thereby that sorrow was an effeminate thing and therefore was not fit for men of temper and liberal education for it is indeed a weak and unmanly passion and women are more subject to it than men the barbarians more than the greeks and the dregs of mankind more than the refined part of them and even amongst the barbarians the brave spirited celts and gauls have not a propensity to it or any that have generous sentiments but the egyptians the syrians and the lydians and those who resemble them in the softness of their disposition they report that some of these will hide themselves in retirements underground and refuse to behold that son of which their lamented friend is deprived ion the tragedian who heard something of this extravagance introduceth a person speaking after this manner your blooming children's nurse i have come forth a suppliant from the caves where i have mourned some of these barbarians have deformed their bodies by cutting off their noses ears and other parts of themselves thinking to gratify the dead by these mutilations when in doing so they deviated excessively from that moderation which nature prescribes us and by jove we meet with some persons who affirm that the death of every one is not to be lamented but only of those who die untimely for they have not tasted of those things which we call enjoyments in the world as a nuptial bed proficiency in learning the coming up to an height in anything the honor of magistracy and charges in the government it is for the sake of these things that we condole with those who lose friends by untimely death because they were frustrated of their hopes But in the meanwhile, we are ignorant that a sudden death doth not at all differ from any other, considering the condition of human nature. For as when a journey is enjoined into a remote country, and there is a necessity for every one to undertake it, and none hath liberty to refuse, though some go before and others follow, yet all must arrive at the same stage at last so when we all lie under an obligation of discharging the same debt it is not material whether we pay sooner or later but if any one's death may be called untimely and consequently an evil that appellation suits only with that of children or infants and especially of those who are newly born but this we bear steadfastly and with patience but when those that are grown up die we take on heavily because we fondly hoped that when their years were full-blown they would then have an uninterrupted state of health now if the age of man were limited to the space of twenty years we should not think that he who had arrived to fifteen died an untimely death but that he had filled up a just measure of living but one that had attained twenty or at least had approached very near it We should applaud for his good fortune as if he had enjoyed the most happy and perfect life in the world so if life were prolonged to two hundred years as its fixed period and any one died at a hundred we should howl over him as if he had been hastily cut off it is manifest then by what hath been said now and what hath been mentioned before that the death we call untimely is capable of consolation and the saying is true that troilus wept less than priam perishing as he did in his youth while his father's kingdom flourished and his riches abounded which priam afterwards laments as most deplorably lost for observe what he saith to his son hector When he entreats him to decline the battle he was going to fight against achilles yet shun achilles enter yet the wall and spare thyself thy father spare us all save thy dear life or if a soul so brave neglect that thought thy dearer glory save pity while yet i live these silver hairs while yet thy father feels the woes he bears yet cursed with sense a wretch whom in his rage all trembling on the verge of helpless age great jove has placed sad spectacle of pain the bitter dregs of fortune's cup to drain to fill with scenes of death his closing eyes and number all his days by miseries my hero slain my bridal bed o'erturned, my daughters ravished, and my city burned, my bleeding infants dashed against the floor, these I have yet to see, perhaps yet more. Perhaps even I, reserved by angry fate, the last sad relic of my ruined state, dire pomp of sovereign wretchedness, must fall, and stain the pavement of my regal hall where famished dogs late guardians of my door shall lick their mangled masters spattered gore but when the fates in fulness of their rage spurn the hoar head of unresisting age in dust the reverend lineaments deform and pour to dogs the life-blood scarcely warm this this is misery the last the worst that man can feel man fated to be cursed he said and acting what no words can say rent from his head the silver locks away with him the mournful mother bears a part yet all her sorrows turn not hector's heart having then so many examples of this kind before thine eyes Thou oughtest to make thyself sensible that not a few have been saved by death from those calamities they would certainly have fallen into had they lived longer contenting myself with those i have related already i will omit the rest that i may not seem tedious and these are sufficient to show that we ought not to abandon ourselves to violent sorrow beyond temper and the bounds of nature End of section 23. Recording by Lucretia B.